Hi y'all, Double G here. My co-host John LaRocca and I have been re-watching episodes of 1997 Raw, the turning point year for the WWF, and reviewing those episodes on Fight Game Media Network Plus in 2022. We'll do the same thing with 1998 Raw. So if you miss some of the golden years of the WWF, come hang out with us every week. We'll break down the shows and the pay-per-views as well and give you context and insight through our research that will take you right back to that time frame. It's wild watching these shows back with current eyes. Subscribe at patreon.com front slash fight game media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, we got a hell of a month of December. We already got a lot to talk about for the final few weeks of 2021. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing fine, and if it wasn't for those cancellations of Japan at the end of the month, We'd have even more boxing to talk about for the month of December. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's a bit of a follow-up. It's almost abundantly clear that some of the fights that we got coming out, especially in the Gennady Golovkin versus Ryota Murata, is not happening, at least not in Japan. It's the the Japanese organizers, Taikin Promotions, tried to work hard to try to get that fight happening, and it looks like it is not happening. It's... Which is a shame. It's an absolute shame because that was going to be, personally, one of my was going to be one of my favorite events uh, of 2021, and would have been a hell of a way to end the mm-hmm. year. But the Omicron variant is already affecting boxing in a big way, and I have a sinking feeling that this will not be the only fight that will get postponed sometime down the line. But uh, and Ioka and Kahas was uh yep. postponed also right yeah yeah so all so two big fights two massive world title unifications already delayed because of the Omicron variant but hey we got a lot of boxing to talk about and a lot of it has to do with the what is increasingly becoming one of the most interesting divisions in boxing the lightweight division we- it is now. It is now the most interesting division in boxing because it looks like Shakur Stevenson will be moving up to 135. Uh, the 135-pound division hasn't been this talent-laden in so many years. It's incredible. Yeah, and and how often do we get the we get so many big fights in that division in essentially a 15, actually no, eight-day span. Mm-hmm. Last week, we had George Cambosos beating Teofimo Lopez. We already covered that at length multiple times, which, mm-hmm. you know, a massive, massive fight that ended with Cambosos winning the unified WBA, WBO, and IBF lightweight titles. This weekend, all the other titles that were not at stake in the Cambosos-Lopez fight were at stake. Devin Haney won a very competitive but you know very good uh fight against jojo diaz to win to retain the wbc lightweight title and then on sunday gervonta davis defended his version of the wba lightweight title against isaac cruz in a very competitive very somewhat close fight towards the end that saw davis win by unanimous decision though Depending on how that 12th round could have gotten, I mean, it could have even ended in a draw. So it was very, You know what? Isaac Isaac Cruz choked because you're fighting a guy with one hand and he did nothing in the 12th round. He did absolutely nothing. Davis ran around, shot out that right jab, and out-hustled Cruz. Cruz would have got a draw if he would have won that round. Yeah, yeah. So what was he doing? Carlos, what was he doing? I'm very upset at Cruz in the 12th round. You know, the crowd, I was I was rude for him because I wanted, you know, I had it 6-5, and you could have said, oh, I he, he had it, uh, he, he could have had you. And then I found out that the judges had the same way I had it, and he did nothing in that 12th round. Yeah, so Gervonta Davis, 
essentially had a injured hand heading into that 12th round and Cruz really didn't do a whole lot although funny enough I don't know why one of the judges actually gave the 12th to Isaac Cruz or actually all from the 9th to the 12th all of it to Isaac Cruz but that's neither here nor there Cruz it's weird because Isaac Krug was a, is a guy that we we've seen multiple times carry a motor into championship mm-hmm. rounds and have this incredible aggression and it kind of wasn't there. And you know, look, Gervonta was fighting smart. He wasn't right. engaging with a guy with a dangerous guy like Cruz late in a fight while he was dealing with an injured hand. You know, I don't blame Gervonta Davis for doing what he did for no, he surviving. Did, he did what he. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what his corner told him to do. Cruz didn't do what he was supposed to do when it counted the most. That's why I'm upset with people. Oh, I thought Cruz won the fight. How? He lost that 12th round. There were several rounds that could have gone either way. This was not a robbery. Davis eked out this win, and I don't know how long it's going to take for that hand to heal because it looked like he broke that hand. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it That's the impression a lot of people is kind of getting in. By the way, can we just stop it with the with throwing around the word robbery so liberally? No, in, that's in that, that's ridiculous, man. That is ridiculous. You know what a robbery were or was, ladies and gentlemen? Julio Cesar Chavez getting a gift draw against Pernell Whitaker. Uh, Azuma Nelson getting a gift draw versus Jeff Fennick in their first fight. You want to watch a real robbery? Robbery? Watch those fights. There's the, what would you call a ro- oh uh, earlier this year. What was that welterweight fight that ended in a in a robbery that was probably the worst decision of the year? Uh, a few months ago, we railed against it. Oh, right, right. It was, uh believe it was a Michael Fox. It was Michael Fox who got rare. I mean, talk about robbery. He won nine, ten rounds and lost, a, what was it, a unanimous decision? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. So, no, no. This was a very competitive fight. Cruz showed a lot. I'm upset with his 12th round because, like Carlos mentioned, 9th, 10th, and 11th, you could have given all three of those rounds to Cruz. He was he had the momentum. Javante, one hand, one hand, and he allowed Javante to move out box, out box him, and it was a clear-cut a 12th round for Javante, causing uh, uh, Cruz not to get that draw because with a draw, he probably gets the rematch. Now he's not getting a rematch. No, it doesn't. And the the official scorecards, I was completely fine with them. 116, 112, 115, 113, 115, yeah. 113. They I were had fine. It, I had it, How they scored it round it by round is a little different, but the end result yeah. I thought was fine. I thought it was fair. I had it 115, 113, just like two of the judges. It, I mean, Javante, J- when his hand was, before he broke his left hand, was landing at Will Cruz has no defense. He's he's one he's a brawler. He comes and gives gives it all to you. He's like a miniature uh, Madonna. <laughs> That's who he reminds me of. He just keeps good. hell of a chin, Carlos. That man took some shots and he kept coming. Yeah, and and then ultimately, I think after this weekend, we came away with what essentially may be the the top three guys. Maybe not necessarily the absolute three best fighters, but they are the three guys at the top of the lightweight division. Them being Cambosos, Haney, and Gervonta. Because Gervonta is now, he looks like he's going to be sticking to 135 for quite a while because he's no it only, longer it only makes the 140 secondary champion. He, he's too small for 140 and 147, and no way in the world can he make 130 again. 135 is the perfect weight for Gervonta. Yeah, and there's a lot of good fights that you can that can be made, and really now we're kind of left in this uh, bit of a debate of who really is the best guy at 135 pounds because you can really kind of make an argument for really all three of these guys to some extent. Personally, I I would put Cambosa at the top because he's the guy. Who beat the guy? Who beat the guy? Yeah, who beat the guy? Yeah, you got to give the the guy with the majority of the titles. Who's the lineal champion? Who's the ring champion? I got to put him at number one. Now, in my opinion, he's not as talented as De- Devin Haney and, and and Tank, but those guys have to go out there and beat him. Either guy has to go out there and beat him, right? He's the guy with the silverware. 
And the way I look at this division, it's now completely opened up. Because when Teofimo had the titles, when he had all of his titles, I mean, obviously he still he had this thing with top rank. It was a bit of a strained relationship. And, it's, you know, given how the last month or so has kind of transpired, it might still be strained. But it was very hard to really envision a realistic road for Teofimo to fight either Haney or Gervonta. We all know Floyd Mayweather doesn't like dealing with Bob Arum. And we sure as hell know Floyd and Leonard Ellaby don't like to work with uh, Eddie Hearn with good reason. I from yeah, but, their point but like we like we said last week, they've been working with Lou DeBella for damn near a decade now. So yeah, I mean that 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 that's why it's so. I love it that DeBella's the guy behind Cambosis because he works with everybody. Yes, and he even said and Lou DeBella even said this after the fight against Teofimo that Camboso has no network uh, obligations. He's not bound to any one nope. entity in particular. Nope. nope. He can go to the zone. He can go to PBC. He can go to Showtime or Fox or ESPN. He can go wherever he wants. Mm-hmm. And that's a, and the great thing about it is that he is a guy who is more than willing to at least entertain potential big fights, or at least more seriously on a more realistic note than Teofimo probably ever did. Because when Teofimo held the titles, you kind of have to go through through Bob Arum and through all yep. the political yep. BS. But in this one, it feels There's more no open-ended. Poli- There's no political BS because DeBella works with everybody. And DeBella has a very close relationship with Al Heyman, Floyd Mayweather, Sam Watson, Leonard Ellaby, etc. Uh, I want to real quick touch on the Devin Haney performance. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed with Devin Haney's performance. I was even more disappointed with Jojo Diaz's disappo- uh, uh, disappointing performance. First off, somebody tell Devin Haney to stop pouring that left jab out there, just pouring that left hand out there. It's it's annoying, and that shit's not going to work against a Tank Davis. It won't work against Cambosos. They will they, they they will find a way to utilize that to their advantage. That doesn't sir sir. Uh, uh, serve anything. Jojo Diaz didn't give it 100%. He, first of all, he tried to outbox Haney for the first half of the fight. What is he doing? And by the time he started fighting, it was too little too late. He hurt Haney late. Haney's chin is a huge problem. Haney, I, I hate to say this, but he's regressed in the last couple of fights. He needs to go back to boxing and moving. Stop being so aggressive because his chin's out there in the air. And if Tank or Cambosis hits him right, he's going to sleep. I was very disappointed in Haney's performance. And I want to say this. Um, I'm tired of the DAZN announcers. I'm tired of the Three Stooges. They're horrible. Todd Grisham, Chris Mannix, and Sergio Moore are horrible. All they do is hype up DAZN fighters. They were hyping up JoJo Diaz the whole fight. He wasn't doing anything. Oh, Serge, I don't know what the hell Sergio Moore was looking at. Oh, 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 JoJo, JoJo. After after seven rounds, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Chris Mannix had it five rounds to two for, for uh, Haney. Oh, no, it's much closer to that, Chris, because JoJo's being eff- effective where? Where was he effective? He was not. Todd? He was not. Todd, Devin Haney was essentially you, controlling the distance yes, for most of the distance. fight. Until the 11th and 12th round where he kept getting caught. He was exhausted. And he kept getting caught with left cross after left cross. And Mr. Grisham, it's a left cross, not a left hook. I know that's Can your you biggest pet peeve in, in broadcasting. Boxing is the only sport, Carlos, where they will hire anybody with a broadcast with a sports broadcasting background to be their announcer. It's one thing to have Sergio Moore, who's an ex-boxer, as a color commentator. It's another thing to have Todd Grisham as your lead announcer when he knows when he does not know the difference between a left cross and a left hook. People criticize Brian Kenny. He knows the difference. Al Bernstein has known the difference since day one. Moro Ronaldo, when he first started, used to make that mistake. I think Al Bernstein took him to the side of step. You need to stop doing that. He rarely does it now. But when Morrow first started doing the fights on Showtime, he used to make that same stupid mistake. It's horrible. My father used to be mad at that, and I inherited that from my father. He said, you cannot do that. The great announcers, the Howard Cosells, the Tim Ryans, the 
Alex Wallows, the Gil Clancy's, they never made that mistake. I hear it too often today in boxing, and it pisses me off. Boxing is the only sport that allows this to happen. You do not have an NFL announcer call a lateral a forward pass. That's when that's the analogy when it comes to a hook and a cross. There's a huge difference. All right. If it's a softball and he throws a straight left, it's a cross, not a hook. Todd, stop the nonsense. You've been making that mistake since day one. And Sergio Mora, he thought Cruz got robbed the next night. They need to stop hyping up their fighters. And if I was the zone, you want you want to keep Todd Grissom only if you hire Roy Jones and Sean Porter to take Mannix and Morris place. Then anybody could be the lead announcer because you have two great color commentators that could carry that guy. Right now, it is hard to watch the zone card with these guys announcing. It irritates the hell out of me because I've been a boxing fan for 45 years. And it takes somebody with real knowledge to keep my interest doing a doing a fight card. That's why I love Roy. That's why I love Andre Ward. Um, because they'll tell me stuff that I didn't know. These guys give you nothing but misinformation all night long. Back to the lightweights, Devin Haney. He needs to go back to boxing. He needs to stop the aggressive style because he's going to get caught. He cannot fight like that against Tank Davis. He cannot fight against against that like that against uh, Lomachenko or against Cambosos, even against Atiyah Lopez. He cannot fight like that. He's got to be on the back foot, not coming forward. It doesn't work. And you mentioned Lomachenko, and he's fighting this weekend against Richard exactly. Comey. It's entirely possible that depending how Lomachenko looks, maybe it's not, you know, the most unbelievable thing in the world to envision Lomachenko not only, uh, you know, go up against one of these guys that we had mentioned earlier, maybe even having a pretty good chance of beating him. Oh, he could he could definitely beat Cambosos. He could definitely beat Cambosos. Lomachenko's not washed up. Lomachenko's no. problem was he gave away the first six rounds against Lopez, and by the time he started fighting, it was too little too late. But I, but if Lomachenko fights Shakur next, that, that could be the end of him. And um, can you can you explain to me why Aaron wants Lomo versus Shakur before Shakur versus Valdez? Why is Shakur versus Valdez an easy fight to make, a unification fight, not priority? Carlos, do you have any answers? Because I'm perplexed. I, I, I don't know. It, it astounds me how for so long Shakur has been genuinely, and he's not just, you know, talking out his rear end. Like he, I, I, you can, he, I know he genuinely is ready to fight to uh, all of these other champions, been calling out these guys for years. And for some reason, it's just Bob Aaron's been gun shy at just pulling that specific trigger. They didn't pull the trigger with Shakur and Josh Warrington, they didn't pull the trigger with Shakur and Oscar Valdez when that was just a ready made fight, you know, never ready. With, yeah, with Emmanuel Navarrete. Mm-hmm. Now they kind of they kind of did it with, I, I with Jamel Aaron, but you, you know, when that, you have Seattle, when, when you have Seattle slew in in your stable, you run him in the Triple Crown. You don't run him in the Cleveland, uh, the, the the Cleveland Open, right? You oh, you run him <laughs> in the Kentucky Derby. You run him in the Preakness, and you run him in the Belmont. <laughs> yeah, which is. And by the way, I mean, if if you're gonna do that fight, in, in all honesty, do you, I think you do it at one thirty? I think you do it at one thirty. It's a better, I think, to me, it's a better way for Lomachenko. Well, well Lomachenko easily makes one thirty, so that's no problem. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And plus, it. I know Baron said, you know, they don't need to fight for a title, but one of them already has a title. Kind of kind of the award a little bit. That, that, I don't think the, it, it matters if it's for a title. That's a medi, m, m, uh, ready-made pay-per-view fight. Uh, to me, right now, it's unnecessary. You, when you already have the two best 130-pound fighters in the world that you could put together and fight it for unification. I honestly believe Aram does want to fight. I don't think Valdez wants to fight. And I think Valdez told Aram, this me con- this conjecture. I would like to hear Carlos's uh, thoughts on this, but I believe Valdez doesn't want to fight Shakur. 
because deep down inside he doesn't believe he could beat Shakur, and he and Aram is using every excuse not to put the fight together. What do you think, Carlos? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. It does kind of feel that there's a bit of a shift in mentality from Valdez for a few months. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it started around the time where Valdez had to fail a drug test. Now, right, right, you can right. argue till the cows come home that, you know, whether or not it, it is actual performance enhancing or, you know, by, based on the amounts and what you read, right. blah, 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 blah. But that combined with the lackluster performance mm-hmm. against Robson Conceição, where had Conceição not gotten exhausted at the he very won. end, he would have won. Mm-hmm. He would have. We would have had a, a new champion. Now we have this four-man tournament, and almost kind of feels like Valdez isn't even thinking about Shakur anymore. It almost feels like Which he's now sad. building himself Which, up again. Yeah, I agree with you. But the the two guys they wanted him to fight. You could correct me if I'm wrong. Navarrete and, and Burchell have left top rank, right? I don't know about Navarrete. I, I know with Burchell that I know he's got plans for something, but I don't right. have anything concrete at this, uh, okay. at this moment. Well, uh, I, I read rumors last week that he was close to signing with Eddie Hearn. Did you hear those same rumors? Uh, boy. I was not very much in tune to seeing what Burchelt was up to because I've been uh, I was out of the right. country for the last week or right. so. So maybe right. it, it's a possibility. I know, you know, if he goes to one thirty and signs with Eddie Hearn, I mean, Hearn literally just signed Kenichi Ogawa, who's the IBF champion at one hundred thirty so pounds. A, there, there's a made ready made title for him to fight right then and there. I see. I got you. I yeah, got so you. it's entirely possible. The, the plan All right, is so let's let's go. Line. Let's go. Let's continue to go over the 135 pound uh, division, which Carlos is right. Right now, the 135 pound division is the hottest division in boxing because you got the three guys on the top: Cambosos, Tank, and Haney. You got uh, a possible Shakur move up there. You still got Lomachenko. You still got Tate. T- uh, I don't know if you got Lopez. You probably move up to one. Nah, I, I I think to me, I would not. I. I don't know. I'm yeah. not going to blame anyone if they keep Lopez, Teofimo yeah. Lopez, in their lightweight ranks for a little while longer. But no, he's but done. Saying, I don't, he's done. I don't think he's. I don't think he's fighting 135 anymore. No, I, no, I no chance in hell. I don't, and then, and then you have the uncertain status of Ryan Garcia. When does he want to fight? I mean, I see he's been calling people out the last couple of days, but is he going to fight? And by the way, uh, listeners, don't believe the narrative. We uh Carlos and I talked about it early this year. Ryan Garcia called out Tank after he knocked out Luke Campbell's talking about he would knock out Tank in two rounds. They were talking about a fight, then all of a sudden, oh no, I got a fight with Pacquiao, which I think Carlos told us was Fantasy Island on his behalf. And then he came down with the mental illness and then the mysterious injury in- instead of fighting Jojo Diaz, he pulled out. So uh all of a sudden he's he's challenging Cambosas. He's challenging Tank. He's challenging Haney. Why all of a sudden is is, is he talking yeah, <laughs> after I, months of silence? Yeah, I, I don't know. To me, Ryan, Ryan needs to get a fight. I, to me, in my opinion, Ryan has no business calling right. out these guys. He needs to get he needs to get back in the ring first and win some fights and win impressively before he can start calling these guys out. And look, remember, it, he blew he blew his opportunity at Haney. He was the mandatory contender, right? Yeah, yes. He had an immediate title shot after he beat Luke Campbell and didn't take advantage of it. Instead, when you know, there was the supposed Manny Pacquiao fight that I never believed for a second was happening. The last two times Haney fought a right-minded Garcia could have won those fights because if he lands the same shot Linares landed or the same shots that Diaz landed, you could have counted Haney out. So I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it with Ryan Garcia. I don't. It, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you know, we didn't even mention obviously Richard Comey is still a quality guy who's got a and mean let me right tell you hand. Something. He's got that right hand that's an equalizer. Remember. When Teo knocked him out, they were both throwing right hands simultaneously. Whoever connected first was going out. Lopez happened to be the one that connected. <laughs> and and even though Isaac Cruz literally just lost this past weekend, but he's still a guy who you can still believe down the road could be you know a what? very dangerous. Would... He's only 23 years old. 
You know what fight I would love to see? Who? You have Isaac Cruz, right? Yeah. Put him in the ring with Frank Martin. Ooh, Put him in the ring with Frank Martin. All right? You got these two young, dynamic fighters. Frank Martin, to me, is the future of the 135-pound division because these guys are going to be moving up. He's still going to be there. Put Frank Martin in the ring with Isaac Cruz. That could be a Showtime main event. You can you know, also have one of them triple hits, right? If yeah. not Frank Martin, you can also put Michelle Rivera. That's another. That's another great situation. Or you could put Roley in there before he goes to jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and by the way, there there's a lot of guys coming up into lightweight. You also got William Cepeda, who's unbeaten. He's yep. 24 old. Very, very yep. good fighter. Very exciting guy who just... 135-pound fight uh, division has not been this talented in a very long... Man, probably since the and, 80s when you had Edward Rosario, Hector Camacho, then you had Chavez, Pernell Whitaker. You haven't had the 135-pound division this talented since the mid to late 80s. And the cool thing about all of this is that aside from Lomachenko and Komei, every lightweight that we just mentioned, it, they're in their 20s. And some of them are in their early 20s. Yep. They're yep. going to be around 135 and potentially 140 because I mean, some of these guys are going to move up. Is going well, to be Lopez, so damn entertaining. Lopez is definitely going to 140 next. He can't make 135. Hey, so I expect already- down the road to go to 140. Uh, Haney, you know what? Haney's too big for 135. Maybe he needs to move up to 140 as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, I, I would not be surprised if Michelle Rivera makes that jump to 135 down the line. He's still, he's only 23, and he's already got plenty of fights uh, above 135 under his belt at this stage of his career. And, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of good fights that you can make at 135. And so... I, this is how I would put my top 10. My top 10 at at, uh, at lightweight. And I'm going off the cuff right here. My number one is Cambosos. Number two, Gervonta Davis. Number three, I put Haney. Mm-hmm. Four, I put Tio. Five, mm-hmm. Loma... Well, actually, no. Scratch that. I, I, I literally just said I'm not putting... I'm not counting to him as lightweight anymore. Yeah, because he's not fighting 135 yeah, yeah. anymore. Scratch that. Scratch that. Again, I'm yeah. doing this off the cuff. Um... Okay. Four Lomachenko, five. More, yeah, five. You can make an argument. I, I, I want to put Ryan Garcia at at five. Talent wise, mm-hmm. he is as he can get there, but mentally, is he there though? That's the that's question. The, that's the question, and we can't really we can't answer yes or no. So I, I, I'll leave it as a conditional five there. And then six to ten, you can essentially do. You can mix it up almost any way, and I don't think there'd be an hey, issue. Yeah, yeah. You got Comey, Comey, Cruz, Cruz, Diaz. You could throw those guys in the mix six, seven, eight. You know, uh, Rivera. Yeah. It, you could potentially like outside looking in. Maxi Hughes is another guy who's looking better and vet better coming out of that yeah, win pay, against Giovanni Strahan. Cepeda and Frank Martin right outside the top ten. So it's and then you got Shakur possibly moving up and and uh, I don't I don't know you you you're right. Brichel will probably stay at one thirty. So yeah, I mean that's that's a stacked stacked division. Yeah, it it's honestly amazing how a lot of these fighters are finally coming onto their own almost at the exact same time. Oh, you know who's we forgot to mention? He's also at one thirty. That'll probably move to one thirty-five one uh, soon. Is Chris Colbert? Yeah, yeah. It, he's a guy that's already a huge yep. threat to any division, yep. to any fighter that he goes up against. Yep. There's a lot of great stuff. One thirty to one forty is going to be so damn entertaining for the next four or five years. Yeah, because for years it's been one forty-seven, but those guys have gotten older. And while the big fight still to make is Bud versus Spence, the rest of the division outside of Boots Ennis and um, Jordanis and Virgil Ortiz is very long in the two for lacking, while 135 is young, it's boisterous, and it's talented. So 100, So one division that is certainly looking a lot more clear is heavyweight division. Tyson Fury and Dillian White... 
might actually happen. The WBC has ordered White and Fury to engage in negotiations. The bit of a uh, free negotiation period where they have. I I don't have. I can't remember. I would need to check the exact wording that the WBC had mentioned. But essentially, they're ordered to fight each other. White is the mandatory challenger as he is the interim belt holder. And now. We've both those guys. They're it's kind of looking like they're very close. I would not say they're close, but there's genuine progress having being made for a fight between the two actually happening. Now put that put that fight in Wembley Wembley Stadium. It'll draw eighty thousand. Let's let's not put that in an arena. That'll draw eighty thousand in Wembley Stadium, and. Tyson will knock out Dylan White. It'll be an exciting fight while it lasts, but it will do huge money in England. And um, and Tyson continue on. I, I I'd love to see it. They, I'd love to see it. I think I think that's his next best opponent. And then from there, he could try and fight the winner of Joshua versus Usyk the rematch. So the the WBC has not mentioned a specific end date, which is actually very weird. It's actually weird that they order a fight and said free negotiate. Asian period has begun, but there's no end date. I'm assuming it's the standard 30 days, though they could always shorten it to like 15 or 14, but the standard is usually 30 days, right around 30 days from the date of the order. So early January could be uh, the end date. If not, purse bid will be issued for the promotional rights to that fight. Here's the interesting part. Well, first of all, the fight, there, any negotiation that has occurred in regards to the location, the UK is a very, very real possibility. Wembley that, makes a that, ton that, of that sense. Should be, that, that should be the only possibility. You can't have that fight in the United States. If they fought in the United States, it would draw the same amount of fans Devin Haney drew Saturday night. Nobody wants to see that shit in the United States. That's a UK fight, period. So... It's possible we could see it as soon as February. I need, you know, Fury has said in the past that he will fight in February or March. But though let me, let it's me, not. Let me, ask you a que- let me let me ask you a question. Maybe you could. I've never been to England. I know it rains a lot. My lady went there two years ago to visit a grandmother. It, a matter of fact, she went in February, March. So she went during the cold months here over there. Uh, do you know what the weather is in February, March in England? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, I've I've only ever been to England once, and that was a one night stay in London on on a trip back to the United States, and that was in I want to say October. So, all right. So yeah, that's that's a different that's a different yeah, time. So. I would I would like to know because to me, for this fight to maximize profit, they could sell out a stadium, but if it's too cold, you can't have it in 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 England. They also need to find a stadium that's not uh, that's not going to be impacted by the Premier League because February, March, that's still right in the. Also, the they can they could put they could put it in a stadium then. So if the Premier League is playing, then you can have a, a major fight in an outdoor arena. Well, there's several. To, there's several. To, there's there's several in um England, right? What's the stadium? What's the stadium that uh uh Carl Froch and um. God damn, the early signs of dementia. They fought, and George Groves fought. That, that, no, that was a Wembley. That was a Wembley. Okay, they got 80,000. And, and by the way, and Carl Froch would would want you to know that he'd be George Groves in front of 80,000 at Wembley. He just wants to yeah. really let you know. Okay, also, uh, what about the stadiums that Josh was fought at that's drawing 60, 70, 80,000? So, oh, so, so there's a couple of them. So there's Cardiff, yeah. in, and that's in Wales. And right, then there's right, Tottenham Hotspur, right. which is in London. Right. There is uh there's also I mean you could also do I don't know what how old Trafford would I don't know how old Trafford would translate as a boxing venue, but it is right in the heart of Manchester. It's a major, major, major venue. Ricky Hatton never fought there in his prime? I don't know. I don't know. Because Ricky Hatton fought in stadiums in Manchester. He fought in a soccer stadium a couple of times. I don't... 
I don't know. I could be wrong. May, he may have fought at Old Trafford. Or he may have either fought at uh, what was just, what was used to be known as the old Ed, as the Etihad Stadium. I don't I don't recall the name of the stadium, but I know it was in Manchester. So do you see they have plenty of options to fight outdoors? This is an outdoors fight. You you're wasting the maximum um, amount of uh, potential gate and money for both fighters if you hold it in the O2 or Wembley Arena. Okay, so. Yeah, so Fra uh, so Ricky Hanning has fought at what is known also known as the Etihad Stadium, which is where Manchester City plays. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. Yeah. And like I said, there's also the uh, old Trafford, but I can't quite remember off the top of my head. And again, this, we're recording this on midnight after I spent the a total of like nine, ten hours flying from Puerto Rico to here. So maybe there has been a major fight. Did you get, did you get your golf clubs back? No. Do you know how expensive it is to get golf clubs from Puerto Rico to Cleveland? I'm generally asking because I have no idea, but I would imagine I, it's a lot. I would, I would, I wouldn't know, but the, you know, I mean, what? What if um you know I don't know what if somebody breaks into your to your parents' house and takes those golf clubs <laughs> you could have brought them to Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, there's a ton of golf clubs in my parents' uh, my okay. parents' house in Puerto Rico. So, All right. you should have brought those, man. See now you can't go play uh with Chichi Rodriguez, man. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm in no condition, nor the weather is in any condition to be playing golf anywhere. In the U.S., especially here in Cleveland, when there is still plenty of sl- snow, and as I'm I am talking, looking at I'm, the, evening, I'm talking about you were you were talking about going to his golf club in Florida. That's still play. really cold. That's still like 50s, 60s. Nah, you're right. You you want to wait till April, May. All right. Okay. So, uh, wh- what other big news besides Fury White? There's uh, wouldn't necessarily name them as big big news, but. Actually, wait, do, yeah, well, there is one that we haven't even discussed yet. The International Boxing Hall of Fame class of 2022. Congratulations to four very deserving modern inductees in Holly Holm, James Tony, Roy Jones Jr., and Miguel Cotto. I agree with Carlos that Yvonne Calderon should have went in before Cotto, but Cotto's a deserving Hall of Famer. And I'm glad. And um, uh, for all you Tim Bradley fans out there, he's never getting in because he's not a Hall of Famer. Stop it. He's not a Hall of Famer. Stop the BS. Don't listen to Dan Raphael. He's not all Tim Bradley's not a Hall of Famer. Oh, yes, he has a robbery win against Manny Pacquiao, and he beat a 75-year-old Juan Manuel Marquez. Yes. Those are the two biggest wins on his record. Whoop-de-damn-do. He's not a Hall of Famer. Go ahead, Carlos. <laughs> So in the uh, men's, I guess, modern category, Roy Jones Jr., James Tony, Miguel Cotto, which no surprise there. And women, in the women's side, you got Holly Holm and Regina Halmack. You also got in the, I guess, non-fighters, Bill Kaplan in the non-participant category. A Ron Borges and Bob Yellen in the observer category. A 218 fight veteran, former junior lightweight champion, Todd Morgan, the old-timer category, and the late ring announcing uh, ring announcer Chuck Hull in the non-participant category. In my opinion, in my opinion, Chuck Hull is the greatest ring announcer in the history of boxing. My top three are Hull, Jimmy Lennon Sr., who's not in yet, his son's in, but his father's not in. Why, I don't understand. Jimmy Lennon Sr. was an incredible ring announcer whose son basically is a replica with the voice and the look of his father. And uh, Michael Buffer being number three, Jimmy Lennon Jr. being number four. Um, Chuck Hogue should have been in years ago. I'm glad he's in. Bob Yellen for years ran ABC, uh, the boxing program at ABC. He was Howard Cosell and then Alex Wallow's boss at ABC. And then he ran boxing for years at ESPN. Uh, very well-deserved uh, Hall of Famers. Ron Burgess, long-time great boxing writer. Of course, love Holly Holm. And can you have a greater Hall of Fame class than the one they're going to have next 
year next June in New in New York State, upstate New York. I mean, technically speaking, this is because you got you got what Bert, who 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 are who are the guys that are going in because it's nineteen it's two thousand twenty two thousand twenty one. Yeah, so yeah, twenty. You essentially got three Hall of Fame classes for next summer. 19, 20, and 21, right? No, right. no, just 20, 21, and 22. 21 and 22. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so there's a uh, boy, uh, there's a lot of guys. I mean, Mayweather and Floyd May, it's, you know, Floyd Mayweather, mm-hmm. Vladimir Klitschko, Andre Ward, Leila Ali, and Wolf. I think those were last year. So that well, would have been the 2021 class. Right. To combine that, and we also got the 2020 International Boxing uh, Hall of Fame, which I'm trying, which I don't exactly have off the top of my head, but I believe it's uh, Bernard Hopkins, Juan Manuel Bernard Marquez, is part of it, Shane yeah. Mosley in the men's mag- men's yeah. modern category. I got it right here. Barbara Butrick in the women's trailblazer category. Christy Martin. Lucia Riker, Lou DeBella, Kathy Duba, Dan Guzan, Bernard Fernandez, and Thomas Hauser. You know, it's funny. You could make an argument that the three greatest female boxers of all time are going in in the same, <laughs> being inducted the same day. That is crazy. I forgot how good, I forgot how good the 2020 class was, actually. You got Leila Lee, Christy Martin, and Holly Holm all get inducted on the same day. Man. What I wouldn't get, I boy, I obviously the state of the world is going to dictate a lot of stuff, but yeah, I'm if, if I can go, I might go because yeah, because you my, my second favorite fighter of all time, James Tony, is getting inducted, and I love Roy and, and Miguel Cotto, and Floyd is one of the, you got Floyd, you got Floyd, Tony Hopkins, and and Roy, mm-hmm. four of the greatest fighters of the last 30 years, unreal, and then you got. Possibly the three greatest female fighters of all time, all inducted. What's this? A twelve-hour goddamn ceremony? I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Because you know, Floyd and Roy go, and James—they're going to talk forever. They're not going to shut up. Bernard, they're better. All these guys, only they're not lost for words. None of those guys. There better be a goddamn way to be able to watch all of those speeches. Like you the know, entire... the, you know every single. Induction of the last fifteen years, I believe, is available on YouTube. They they do record these. Yeah, but I'm talking about like live streaming. They gotta have a live stream. This there's too many. There's too many. This is a pay per view worthy event or yeah. live stream on one of the hey the zone on ESPN Plus. They, Fi- they this this, this feels like something for Fight TV, in my opinion. This is perfect. This is perfect because. Other than the first Hall of Fame, when they inducted, when Ali and Shigure Robinson and Joe Lewis were the first, you know, inductees in 1989, 1990, you probably don't have a deeper class. Look at all, you got three classes in one. We've got like five to eight of the greatest fighters of all time on the same night. And Floyd, James, Roy, Bernard, they don't shut up. Uh, 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 one and Miguel are soft spoken. They won't be up there long and long. But the other four, forget it. <laughs> be going on and on and on. Uh, and Shane's soft spoken too. He doesn't. He, he he doesn't talk a lot. But man, Bernard's going to speak for at least forty five minutes to an hour. Floyd, you're going to have to. Security's going to have to get him off the stage. <laughs> I would argue that again, aside from that, uh, Ali Hall of Fame class. This is the I, deepest since that class. I was, yes. yeah, I would say this is going to be the best Hall of Fame yeah. weekend. Yeah, yeah, per- period. So, yeah, because that first class with you had that was while, iconic. While while Sugar Ray Robinson and and Joe Lewis were dead, still, if you just look at the names, that's mm-hmm. iconic. This one, it's the best since then. This is this is pay per view worthy. Somebody's got to cover this live. Now. We want to talk about deep. We got a deep, deep Saturday. Now, before we actually started recording, Robert, Robert and I were talking to each other, trying to figure out how many, how much actual boxing, uh, how many boxing cards are for Saturday. Just every time, every time I, I look at one, 
I noticed that there's yet another one. Hell, there were going to be two boxing cards on the same platform going head to head with each other. That's rare. That is incredibly rare. Like, it's literally equivalent of having a top-ranked show on ESPN than a different top-ranked show also live on ESPN2. Or, or ESPN plus the app. One or the other. One or the other, yeah. So. <laughs> which, which by the way, has never happened. ESPN has never had a card up against ESPN2 or ESPN plus card. Economically, it makes no fucking sense. So let's go. So let's go starting with that one. So the zone. On Saturday, we'll have a card starting at noon Eastern, if I remember this correctly, noon Eastern, with Dmitry Bivol versus Omar Salamov for Salamov for the WBA light heavyweight title, which is another good. It's an interesting fight, in my opinion. Salamov is a guy who could provide a lot of. Uh, a lot of problems for Bival. I think he does. I think this will be a harder fight than the one Bival had against Craig Richards uh, in his last title defense. But this almost still feels like a stay busy fight for for Bival because we've been wanting for a long time just a really big name for for Dimitri Bival, and it this is not quite it. But we're, it almost feels like we're all in a holding pattern until we get to a fight between Bival and Gilberto Ramirez. Because it almost seems like for a long time that that fight is... Well, not necessarily that that fight is going to happen for a long time, but they've been teasing that fight. Especially Ramirez, they've been teasing that fight for a very long time, for months now, that I don't know if... It, it, I well, I don't know if it's actually gonna happen, but we'll see. Yeah, but honestly, I love I personally I love these like noon Russian like Eastern European boxing cards that the zone puts out every so often. Personally, I am a fan of them. Uh, I think Robert is. No, I'm here. Let um, me ask you. Right. There you got a question. Uh huh. By uh, Golden Boy. Yeah, Ramirez is promoted by Golden Boy. So, being that they're the zone fighters, that that should be an easy fight to make, right? Bavol versus Ramirez. Yeah, yeah. And instead, we're kind of doing this uh, weird roundabout where Ramirez has his own as a title eliminator, but you could have easily put Ramirez and Bavol together immediately. It's it's time they put uh, these guys in with, with, with each other. Let, the Bavol, they've put him in with one fighter after another that's not on his level. It's time for Bavol to step up. Um, and um, when is Marcus Brown? I mean, Marcus Brown. Um, what's the who's better be at fighting next? Marcus Brown. Marcus Brown. You know, I was getting Marcus Brown, the light heavyweight. Mixed up with the heavyweight, oh, what's that? Lucas Brown. I always get yes. names. Well, oddly, yeah. funny enough, he actually he just uh, Lucas Brown just actually fought very oh. recently. So when is Marcus Brown and Arthur better be fighting? On December seventeenth. So next Friday. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank Which, you. Which, by the way, that's a good card. That is a good card that they got going on. That's yeah. a good fight. Uh, that's not an easy fight for better be especially. The way he looked the last fight, Marcus Brown has one punch knockout power. Anything is possible. We'll see. I still predict Better B is going to win, but it's not going to be a cakewalk. At 1 p.m. Eastern this Saturday, you got Connor Ben versus Chris Algieri on also on the zone. Robert, for those who did not get to listen, your your bold prediction when this fight was first announced, please could you kindly I... repeat it? I'm going to predict that Chris Algieri either wins a split decision or gets robbed by a split decision. Um, it's not going to be an easy fight for Conor Ben. Chris Algieri looked great in his last fight. Conor Ben has not impressed me. To me, he's another second-generation fighter who has been coddled, who has been given gimmies, who who grew up in silk sheets and pajamas. 
Now, if he goes out there and blows out Jury away, then then um, I will be the first to admit maybe we might have something here. Right now, he does not impress me. If you want to bring up Tim Zhu, remember Tim Zhu and his father haven't spoken to each other in over 10 years. Tim Zhu is fighting with a chip on his shoulder to prove to his father that he can be a great fighter. He hasn't. His father hasn't been in the picture in a long time. Connor, Ben, and Nigel have been together forever. Nigel raised Connor. Connor was raised well. All right, he never had to 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 to, to fend for himself. Boxing is about hunger, talent, and hunger. You have to have both. To me, he has neither. And Algeria, even though he's past his prime, athletically he's still pretty darn good. And he looked yes. good in against in this comeback fight against McLippier and. He looked in tremendous against a guy who had just come off a title loss. LePierre is not is no easy is no is is no easy gimme, and Algeri dominated that fight. Yeah, and had he had just a little bit more power, he would have stopped McLepierre. That's that's a couple the problem. Of times. Chris has no power whatsoever. He's like a like a Paulie Malignaggi in his prime, where you know he can outbox you, but he can't outpunch you, and if he gets hit, he's in trouble. But, hey, this is the same guy that was knocked down 37 times against Manny Pacquiao and still went the distance. <laughs> yeah. and But I think ultimately I say Conor Ben wins a close decision, in my opinion. I think that we'll see. I'm Well, this really well, the needs fight, to the leave fight, a face. The fight's, in, the fight's in England. So Algeria has to win every round to get a split decision. Yeah. But my whole thing is that I think – and this is me taking a leap of faith. I think he takes that na- that next step in his development, and I think we'll see him show her- show us a little bit more than what we're than what we've already seen. The thing with Connor is that offensively, I think he's a very fine prospect, but I- he has not shown a complete boxing performance against a good established veteran not and, and I'm not talking about a guy who is uh who's way past around way over the hill Algeri's still a quality fighter as you saw in his fight against Mikhail Lespierre he's still a quality fighter and he could he definitely still has enough to beat Ben so uh I I hope I'm right I hope either he wins by split decision or he gets robbed. If Ben blows him out or, or, or wins eight out of ten rounds, then I then I'll have to bite my tongue and say, you know, Connor, you 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 have a possible you have a possible shot at a one day fighting for a title because I don't think he can even fight for a title. I don't think he's that good, but we'll see. Undercard for that uh, the Zone show, but uh, headlined by Ben versus Algeri. Katie Taylor versus Firuza Sharipova for the undisputed women's lightweight title. Robbie Davis Jr. versus Hank Lundy. You got Joe Cordina also on the card. So is Jordan Gill. Not a bad undercard in my opinion, but this is one. Saturday is one of those you got to pick and choose your days because also you know early on in the day. Although I'm not sure if there's been any U.S. broadcast announced for this next card but it's going to be taking place in dubai headlined by john real casimero versus paul butler for the wbo bantamweight title also on that card sunny edwards versus jason mama for the ibf flyweight title donnie you know Nan- what pisses you know what you know what pisses me off what casimero could have been fighting donair they fight on the same day they couldn't afford each other and and social media, the social media antics kind of derailed what would have been a fantastic fight. That just doesn't make any sense to me, man. I mean, I know with the with 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 with, with the way the, the the their their schedule fight went was canceled and the whole nine, but man, and after that stinker against Guillermo Rigondeaux, you think Casemiro would go and fight Donia? Huh? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's disappointing. These two guys were supposed to fight each other, and now they're fighting on the same day against different people on opposite sides of the world. Yeah. Now, at, at the very least, Casimiro versus Butler has to make it to be a bit of an explosive fight. Casimiro is a guy who's very aggressive, very forward-thinking in, in the way he punches. 
Butler, in some regards, is sort of the same way, but much to a much lesser degree. And yeah. the problem in what makes this fight, you know, so good for Casimiro is that Butler is a guy who's susceptible to body punches, and yep. Casimiro loves attacking the body and, and and starting his combinations from down below, from the body, and then work his way upstairs. This could be a potentially good fight, but I expect Casimiro to win this one with a stoppage or a knockout in the middle rounds. Yeah, I've got to, I'm going to predict a seventh round KO for Casimiro, and hopefully he fights either Nioa or Donaire next. Let's stop, you know, let, let, let's stop. Don- and please, no one put him in the ring with Guillermo again. No, no rematch, please. Also on that undercard, as I mentioned, Sonny Edwards versus Jason Mama for the IBF lightweight title. Donnie Nietes versus Norberto Jimenez, which is actually not a bad, which is actually not a bad fight at super flyweight. At, at Nietes' age, you never know when father time catches up. So any fight that he's in with a quality opponent, he could lose and could be very entertaining and very interesting. No such thing right now for Donnie when he fights quality fighters as a gimme because of his age. Jono Caro also on that undercard, at least according to BoxRec. Now, I'll give a since we had already mentioned Nonino Donaire, let's kind of go quickly go into yeah. that one because it's a Showtime yeah. card on Saturday, though. Really, the focus is not just on the on Donaire's fight against Raymar Gavallo, but it's also on the you know the customary week after the pay per view showing where they show the main event between Gervonta Davis and Isaac Cruz, and you can make your own conclusions on that fight and Davis's performance if you haven't already seen that fight. Now, as for the actual live boxing on Showtime, Donaire. Looked phenomenal in his title win against Nordingo Bali. And Caballo, on the other hand, this time last year is coming off what was a horrendous decision victory for him, in which he was uh, they, unjustly they, they gifted a decision against Emmanuel Rodriguez. They robbed Rodriguez. That was a horrible decision. That might be the worst decision of 2020. That was horrible. And Gabayo has not really followed up since that win. So it'll be a year since he last fought. And he didn't look impressive in that one. So this is almost shaping up to be a very, very... Almost another Ubali type of performance for Norido Donaire. But... Like we had mentioned with with um, Donnie Nietes, Donaire is at, at the age Same. where anything can happen yeah. with Donaire because he's you know he's been past his prime like three or four times already and keeps rejuvenating himself over and over again. At you know, some point, you know, it's gonna stop. You know what's the irony? What these these are both Filipino fighters uh, past their prime late in their career. <laughs> And it's been a, it's been a, remember, it could be a trend because uh, Manny was past his prime, got beat by Ugas. Mm-hmm. That these two fighters could face the same fate. We don't, we, we, we won't know. We won't know the Donaire until Donaire gets in the ring. And to be honest with you, mm-hmm. since no Donaire came back down to 118, other than that loss to Donaire, I mean to uh, Nioa, he's been incredible at 118. Unbeatable other than Losing to the best bantamweight on the planet. That's saying a lot. On ESPN, we have, we kind of already did the preview. We kind of already did a mini preview of Lomachenko versus Komei when we were discussing both these guys. So no kind of no need to go super in-deep in that one. But I will say I'm, it is I'm a very predict, good fight. I'm going to predict Lomachenko wins a decision. I don't think he has the power to knock out Comey, but I still think he has the skills to stay away from that big right hand. Comey has a nuclear bomb for right hand. Uh, I see Lomachenko winning a comfortable 12-round decision by outboxing Comey. Like you said, he has that nuclear bomb of a right hand. That fight headlines a quadruple header on ESPN, which is the it is the annual post Heisman Trophy presentation 
broadcast for top rank which is usually their you know highest rated program uh, boxing telecast of the year or one of so you got Lomachenko mm-hmm. versus Comey in the Comey in the actual main event Co- Keyshawn Davis versus Jose Zaragoza on the card Jared Anderson versus Alexander Teslenko also on the card and then the TV opener Nico Ali Walsh versus Reyes Sanchez on the ESPN Plus undercard, you got Xander Zayas. All- see, this is piss- This pisses me off. Yeah. Xander Zayas is one of the biggest prospects on the planet, and they got him on the app, and they got this stiff. This guy they found out of nowhere, uh, Ali's grandson. The only reason he's on TV is because he's Ali's grandson fighting on the TV opener. I mean, get out of here. You really, you, 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 you got to showcase real fighters. Not cartoon characters. This guy, uh, Nico Ali Walsh, it'll be forever before he 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 gets to be a competent pro. Sanders is one step away from being a world title contender. Come on. The upside is definitely far more in Sadius's corner. Far than more. Ali Walsh. It's, it's different universes. It's different universes. And the, and the thing that it here's the thing. This is not some, you know, random top rank on ESPN card. This is the one where it's a yes. guaranteed yes. million. It's a guaranteed, it's, it's a guaranteed seven figure yeah. audience tuning in. Yep. Yep. I would have put, to me, it should have been a no brainer putting Sanders Zayas over Nico Ali Walsh. You need, see, I don't, I, I've questioned Bob Arum several times. On the way he's promoted his young fighters the last few years, there's another question right here. Why are you featuring on the opener right after the biggest rating that ESPN gets for the year, the Heisman Trophy presentation? Other than the NFL football, that's their biggest, highest rating, right? How do you put uh, this gimmick fight instead of your number one top prospect. That's their number one top prospect. You can make a claim he's the number one top bo- prospect in boxing. You need people to see this kid if you want to if you want to feature him later on on ESPN main events. No, you bury him on the app. It, to me it honestly does not make sense in my opinion. I it, you uh, to me that Ali Nico Ali Walsh thing as him being Ali's grandson. I think that's already been overplayed to death. Like if you really hey, want, if you get, really want to develop him, just put him on the get app. Get used to it. Get used to it. They're gonna run this into the ground until he gets knocked the fuck out. Right now, get used to it. Now, in I will say this: Nico Ali Walsh is not fighting some guy with like a win and eighteen losses. He's going up against an unbeaten guy at six and zero. Oh, so yeah, who is that guy some- for? Have Have you ever seen any clips of that guy? Uh, no. All right. Okay. We'll, we'll get, and I'm not going. I'm not going to watch the fight. So I'll just let you. I will follow you and see what you say on Twitter. Because I refuse. And I, I'm a guy with over twenty thousand fights on video, cassette, DVD. You will never see one of this guy's fights in that collection. Right? I refuse. Just like I did Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.'s entire career until he fought Sergio Martinez. That was the first fight that I've had in my collection of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Because, to me, he was always a fucking gimmick. This, he's even worse than Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. No, I'm not I'm not going to watch it. Uh, you let me know if the guy he fought was a real 6-0 fighter or some guy that they manufactured his record. <laughs> now, before we kind of end things off, we can finally, finally... Say goodbye to what was seemed to be the longest layoff in modern boxing history. Gary Russell Jr. It appears that he reportedly now has a fight and a date. Oh shit! Wait a minute! I didn't know about this. Who, who's he fighting? Well, it's his mandatory Mark Masayo, January twenty second Showtime main event. That's what's being reported. Well, it's about damn time. So. Uh, his normal one-year excursion has become two years because the last time he stepped in the ring was, what, February of 2020? Before the pandemic. Right before the pandemic. So now he comes back two years later, rusty as a motherfucker, 
He should beat Messiah, though, because Messiah is a one-dimensional brawler. He he tries to knock you out one shot. He should have lost his last fight. He needed a miracle knockout win. That's not going to work against Gary Russell, even a guy who hasn't fought in two years. Uh, well, maybe he'll make up for last year by fighting twice this year. <laughs> oh, he's, well, if he beats Messiah, he's got 11 months to, to pull it off. 11 months is essentially a year, so maybe he can yeah, actually so, yeah, do it. He, he, he get that second fight in. Uh, who who was it that he wanted to fight it with? Oh, he said he wanted to fight Bud. Uh, Gary, will you stop dreaming? All right, let's stop with the nonsense. Right? <laughs> Other bits and pieces of news. Joe Smith Jr. visit Callum Johnson for the WBO light heavyweight title confirmed for January 15. Uh, that fight could go either way. That's a very exciting Very fight. good that fight. Will, that will be fireworks galore. Matchroom Boxing announces Israel Madrimov versus Michel Soro in a WBA junior middleweight title eliminator in Uzbekistan on the zone for December 17. Also on the card, you got Shakram Giyasov, you got Beck the, Beck the Bully uh, versus the dreaded TBA. And you also Well they got they gotta make sure it's a corpse because he got he got violently knocked out and they, they wanna give him an easy uh get well win. <laughs> and I guess final bits of the news before we kind of end things off. WBO has ordered Demetrius Andre versus Johnny Beck Alimhanala for the middleweight title. So Johnny Beck's team successfully convinced the WBO to name him the mandatory challenger, even though he was not number one. They, they, it's, it's, oh, and, and Chris Mannix and the zone was like pushing. Oh. He went to the WBC so they could order a, a unification. That shit wasn't happening, all right? Charlo and Andrade will never fight each other, all right? Stop stop with it. And then Chris Mannix. Oh, that's the biggest fight to make in boxing. For who? People who have trouble sleeping? The <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Robert, working the good people. Find your work and find you on Twitter. On Twitter, my handle is RobertSilva5768, just like my name is spelled, 5768. Fightgate Media, the parent website of this uh, podcast feed and their Patreon podcast. Also, you get the information on on the Patreon um, uh, shows with John LaRocca uh, or Garrett, uh, Justin, and Fumi Saito, all those great people on the Patreon page. Well, on the Fight Game Media website, I have, man, I don't know, three to 400 articles I've written. Right now, I'm working on the 45 greatest fighters in the last 45 years. Coming up, two articles, one this week, one next week. My number 26 fighter is the great Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. And number 25 that will come out next week that I just sent in as a draft is the legendary Mexican, you call it straw weight, minimum weight, whatever you want to call one 105 pounds, Ricardo Finito Lopez. And for those who never seen him fight, if you wanted to draw up what a perfect fighter looks like, watch his fights and you'll see something similar. You can also find me and on Twitter at Colator Media and you also read my work at fightgamemedia.com and until then Heath Robert Silva I'm Carlos Torre and we'll see you in the next episode of Pound for Pound on the Fight Game Media Network hope you enjoyed this week's slate of fights and we'll see you in the next one